Hi everyone, welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. We are your hosts, Stasia and Saskia. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about veganism. This is particularly relevant because when we release this podcast, it'll be just at the start of Veganuary. As I'm sure you're all aware, veganism is such a large and broad topic. So for this podcast, we're going to focus mainly on environmental and health impacts. If you guys would like a follow-up when you like and you would like us to speak about animal rights, then just let us know because we'd be more than happy to do that. We're going to start with discussing our experiences with veganism, or not veganism, so Stasia can go first. So essentially I ate just a regular kind of carnivore diet up until I was about 17. And then from 17 onwards, I went vegan for approximately a year. And that didn't really work for me because although I ate, I ate properly in terms of I didn't eat a lot of processed vegan like alternatives and I had a very good plant-based diet and I actually tried to stick to a raw plant-based diet. It didn't really work for me because I unfortunately lost a lot of weight and um, lacked energy, my hair started falling out and I just wasn't getting the nutrients that I needed to. So as a result of that I switched to a pescatarian diet where I stopped eating meat. And that also worked for me for a while and I think I was pescatarian for approximately two years. And then at the beginning of lockdown, so in March 2020, I actually went back to just eating meat again because I saw one of our housemates eating a steak and I just got a massive, massive craving for blood, which I know sounds quite weird, but I just thought, okay, I guess I'm lacking iron or nutrients or something along those lines. So. I just got a steak and I had it and I automatically felt so much better and since then I've started eating meat and it just has improved my cognitive ability quite a lot. It has improved my skin, believe it or not, and it's also improved my energy levels. My experience with veganism was actually quite the opposite. So for the first, I'd say, 18 years of my life I ate a normal carnivore diet. Then when I went to university, the main reason I stopped eating meat was just because of the price. I remember I was just so shocked how expensive chicken was and I was just, I was quite stingy back then and I was not prepared to pay £4 for some chicken breast. Then in the January of my first year, I actually participated in Veganuary and I really liked it, I felt amazing and I really didn't crave animal products ever. I was a vegan for maybe two, two months, six weeks until I went to a restaurant and there was no vegan option so I had a vegetarian option instead. Unfortunately, this just sent me on a spiral. I went home and ate all the cheese in the fridge. And really, I just concluded that I wasn't at a time in my life where I was ready to give up dairy products yet. I continued being vegetarian though, so I've now been a vegetarian for over a year. And recently, I've cut out the majority of animal-based products. So for the past three months, the only animal-based products I've eaten is cheese, which I will be cutting out in January. By, well, by the time this podcast comes out, I will be a vegan. I find it so interesting how like diet affects people so differently because you're obviously not the first person who has said or who has kind of voiced the fact that actually going on a more plant-based diet has made them feel a lot better whereas for example like with someone like me like it's the complete opposite we both have very different bodies though so you're quite a slender woman and i know you've always been very skinny and the main reason why you went back to eat meat actually was because you gained lots of weight whereas for me i've never been that person i've always not necessarily being overweight but I've never been skinny so for me when I went vegetarian and when I went vegan I actually didn't lose any weight at all it was unfortunately for me I was quite upset I stayed the exact same weight yeah I guess it very much depends on just your body composition and on how much 
nutrients you're getting from certain types of food because I think everyone absorbs nutrients differently from whatever they're eating. And obviously I clearly don't absorb mine too well, hence why um, I felt, I started feeling a lot better when I went back to a meat diet, so. Yeah, definitely. But we'll discuss that a bit later in detail about how you can be a vegetarian or a vegan and still get the correct nutrients. Yeah, that will be in um, our health section of the podcast, which um, we're going to talk about second, but we're going to start off by talking about the implications of veganism on the environment. Before we begin, I'd just like to say that there is such a large body of research into whether veganism is good or bad for the environment so for this podcast we just relied on sources that are known to be reliable such as the guardian the independent the nhs bbc the un and um, we didn't so much rely on ran- more random news articles so according to the independent a vegan diet is probably the single biggest way to reduce your impact on the earth Not only does it reduce greenhouse gas emissions, but it also reduces global acidification, eurotrophication, land use and water use. Buying an electric car or taking less flights will only reduce your greenhouse gas emissions. And for this reason, this is why veganism is the best because it targets all areas. It has also been backed by the United Nations, the UN, who have said that it's necessary to combat the worst effects of climate change. So according to the Smithsonian Institute, several football fields worth of land are bulldozed every minute to create more room for farming animals and the crops that feed them. I'm pretty sure we've touched upon this in one of our previous podcasts, but grazing animals and actually separately growing the crops to feed them is one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. So chickens, pigs, cattle and other animals raised for food are the primary consumers of water every day. So just to give you an example, a single pig consumes 21 gallons of drinking water per day whilst a cow on a dairy farm drinks as much as 50 gallons per day. So what this equates to is that it takes more than 2,400 gallons of water to produce one pound of cow flesh, whereas it takes about 180 gallons of water to make one pound of whole wheat flour. Also, I know that these statistics have been in gallons, which is uh, an an American uh, metric unit, but this is because a lot of the research which has been done into veganism and grazing and land is American-based. The nutrients we get from livestock actually only provides 18% of our calories and just 37% of protein, yet it takes up 83% of farmland. To produce 900 grams of beef, this actually causes more greenhouse gases than driving a car for three hours. As we've mentioned, livestock uses large amounts of lands, both for grazing and for growing feed, And it has been estimated that if we all went vegan, we could reduce land use agriculture by 75%. This would cover an area equivalent to the size of the US, China, Australia and the EU combined. When we really think about it, it's really inefficient to grow grain and soy to feed animals and then eat the animals when we can quite literally just eat the grain and soy ourselves. And this would also result in a significant drop in greenhouse gas emissions and free up wildland lost agriculture, which is one of the primary causes for mass wildlife extinction. And these figures have all come from the independent. There's actually a huge myth that the vegan diet is unsustainable because of the use of soy products. So we initially thought this as well and we did a bit of research into it and we actually found that this has been enormously overstated. Just to give you some background evidence as to why soybeans are bad. Soybean plantations are responsible for an enormous amount of deforestation, especially where rainforest ecosystems are concerned. This is mostly in South America but can also be seen in African savannas and Central Asia. Soy is a really intensely grown crop and it has high demand for resources 
particularly energy, water and soil. In Brazil, soy-related production is responsible for 29% of the country's greenhouse gas emissions. So with all of this in mind, this is actually how the theory about soybean being very unsustainable and therefore the vegan diet being unsustainable can be debunked. So almost 80% of the world's soybean crop is actually fed to livestock, which is beef, chicken, and so it contributes to the egg and milk production as well. And this statistic comes from the WWF, who have also explicitly stated that increasing meat consumption is the main driver behind soy's continuing expansion. And of the remaining 20%, only 6% of soybean is used for human consumption and the remainder of 14% is used for things like fuel. Whilst we're feeding this to animals because it's high in protein, beef results in up to 105 kilograms of greenhouse gases per 100 grams of protein, whilst tofu produces less than 3.5 kilograms. So it seems really illogical to feed animals soy when we can directly eat soy and it produces less greenhouse gases. And quite a similar amount of protein, I presume. But yeah, that's for, this, that's for the same amount of protein. So apart from meat production, another big contributor to greenhouse gas emissions is milk. So personally, although I do eat meat now, I actually never liked milk. So I've always drank either soy milk or almond milk or oat milk, coconut milk, rice milk, all of them. Um, but then I still do eat cheese and yogurt. Whereas I used to love cow's milk. It was one of the things that I really begrudged giving up when I first began my journey towards becoming a vegan. Um, I actually haven't drank milk in over six months now. I couldn't really tell you the last time, but I have been eating cheese recently. I really do love cheese and it's something that I'm struggling to cut out, but I'm adamant in the new year that I will do. So the greenhouse gas production from milk is 30 times higher than what we expected according to the BBC. So an average person in the US consumes 14% more dairy than 20 years ago. So this is just another example of overconsumption. And in addition to this, the process of producing milk is actually very inefficient, let alone very also cruel to the animal, because the cows are made to feel pregnant all the time, hence why they produce milk. But nevertheless, 545 litres of water is used to produce 3.7 litres of milk. I think this statistic really proves how inefficient the dairy process is, especially when there's so many other alternatives. Yeah, see, I would say that with alternatives, I think there's great milk alternatives, there's also great yogurt alternatives, but I think what really, really needs improving is the cheese alternatives, because those are just not up to scratch at the moment. And even, I mean, I think butter alternatives are good as well. I think it's genuinely just the cheese. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the cheese market, the vegan cheese market, is definitely growing. They definitely are becoming better every year. If you are thinking of becoming vegan, one thing that everyone really recommends doing is to just cut out cheese for a while and then go back to vegan cheese because then you'll kind of forget the taste of normal cheese and the alternatives will taste so much better. And this is something that I definitely plan to do because I love cheese, as I mentioned many times. Cow's milk emits nearly 10 times more greenhouse gases per litre than almond milk and a Swedish study found that greenhouse gas emissions were 16 to 41% lower when cow's milk production was substituted for oat milk production. I think that's quite a broad statistic to be honest, I'm not sure why they couldn't find a median between 16 and 41, but that gives you a taste of it anyway. Also, even though milk alternatives are far better than obviously cow's milk, we've touched upon this in our podcast when we spoke about Oatly and why oat milk is actually so popular. 
Um, and within the category of milk alternatives, you also need to be careful because although, yes, sure, almond and oat and rice milk and all of the above, their production does emit less greenhouse gases and uses less water and land. Within the category, for example, almond milk and rice milk use far more water than oat milk. So I think if you're actually not only trying to be vegan, but are also trying to genuinely kind of become more sustainable, I think you actually need to do your due diligence even more and not just go for any milk alternative, but actually choose the best one out of the options. Also, the fact that oats grown in the UK makes it even more sustainable because they don't have to travel far to get here. And you can actually make your own oat milk at home just by blending oats and water and a few other things as well. But it's quite a simple process. And also with making milk yourself, I think not only can it be quite fun, like I would enjoy doing it, but you also eliminate the use of plastic packaging because a lot of the time, I mean, cow's milk and milk alternatives, they come either in plastic containers or even the milk which comes in like cartons, it still has obviously has the plastic lid and it has a plastic lining. So actually by making your milk at home, you are eliminating a lot of waste. Yeah, the, the majority of time, I mean, every oats I've ever bought always comes in like a paper bag. It's basically a no waste method. I don't think this is actually too often spoken about because when people think about veganism, I think they often just think about cutting out meat and dairy, but they forget that fish also comes under this. It has been predicted that the seas will be empty by 2050, which is just 29 years away. There's so many different sources that agree to this, such as National Geographic, The Telegraph, the BBC. And what I found really interesting was when I was doing my research, I actually read an article from 2006 that said that the seas will be empty by 2050. 2006 was 14 years ago, and it really surprised me that, that they knew this information back then and they're still predicting the same. So we had the chance and we just didn't take it. So very harmful methods are used to catch fish. An example of those would be bottom trawling. So essentially what this is, is where a net is dragged across the bottom of the ocean floor. I'm sure all of us have seen that scene in Nemo actually. And the UN actually estimates that 95% of ocean damage is caused by this. Also, they catch and kill unintended species. A lot of the times I've heard horror stories about sharks being caught in the net or even dolphins. This also can happen to seabirds, turtles, and even whales. So over 60% of fishing waters are fully fished. This is a 2018 statistic, so the statistic is much higher now. Yeah, it definitely will be. If they're predicting by 2050 that the oceans will be empty, then within three years since the statistic was released, I'm guessing it would have gone up, I'd say at least 5%. But also my question with this is that what about fish farming? Because obviously I think a lot of our fish is now comes from fish farms and that means that the fish are actually specifically bred to be caught. So doesn't that mean that then the fish which are essentially not on the fish farms out in the ocean, they're not going to be impacted by this? No, I think the issue is is that the seas are running out of fish and that's why they're, they're creating these fish farms. So they're still fishing from the sea but they need the fish farms to meet the demand and soon the sea will be empty and we'll just be left with fish farms. I guess it's kind of like, you know, when you can buy your meat produce or for example, your eggs and you have free range and you have non-free range or like organic and non-organic. I actually know that with fish, you can either get farmed, let's say salmon, or you can get the like wild salmon, which is supposedly better because it can swim around and it's more like 
lean as opposed to fat salmon which is pumped with protein and which sits in like a cage outside of actually eating the fish fishing is actually the biggest plastic contributor to the sea and more than 640,000 tons of nets lines pots and straps that are used in commercial fishing are dumped and discarded in the sea every year this is the same weight as 55,000 double decker buses which is a lot as you can imagine I think it's really interesting because a few years ago there was a huge campaign about not having plastic straws in your drinks, especially when you went out to restaurants. And the majority of people did this for the turtles, yet these people, not everyone obviously, still continue to eat fish and support the fishing industry. And if you really cared about the turtles, then, then you wouldn't be supporting an industry that kills so many. Yeah, for sure. I also think that the straw thing actually became another trend, not saying that it's a bad trend of course. But you know you'd see like girls whipping out their little metal straws on their nights out and kind of like using it as like a trend thing or as like an attention thing which isn't necessarily bad but the fact that i guess it stems from an a place of it being a trend as opposed to someone actually genuinely caring for the environment i think that again transposes on sure i won't use a plastic straw but i can continue eating fish just before the whole um not having a straw thing started a few years ago I remember the workplace where I was well, working at the time stopped giving out straws and I was I was like oh wow this is amazing why are you doing this and my workplace was actually only doing this to save money and I suppose yeah they also did save plastic from going in the ocean but people did have ulterior motives. So inevitably the vegan diet is a lot better for the environment but as we spoke about previously about choosing your dairy alternatives accordingly that also needs to transpire into a lot of other things. So for example, in 2018, there was a major avocado shortage and the consumption of avocado has has increased nearly four times since 2000. This is obviously not due to just to vegans because for example, I'm not vegan and I eat, I wouldn't say a lot of avocados, but I get two on every food shop. So I have like one a week probably, but I know a lot of people have a lot more. And again, this is an American statistic, but only 3% of the the USA are vegans. So we can't attribute the increase in avocados to vegans solely. Yeah, I think it's mainly just the trendiness of the fruit. Because again, I think it, same with with the straws, it turned into a bit of a social media thing where people genuinely thought that by like eating a lot of avocado on toast, it's essentially like a personality trait. (laughs) Yeah. We were all guilty of this to an extent. I actually had some pajama shorts with avocados on. Yeah, and the whole like print with, I don't know, avocado toys or avocado like t-shirts. You don't see that, I don't know, for like a cucumber, do you? And then on top of that, all the trends with like avocado ice cream and just like avocado face masks, like a lot of stuff. Like, I don't know, again, people don't make it out of like tomatoes, do they? No, but I think it's because it was such a new thing. Like, I obviously grew up eating cucumbers and tomatoes, but I can't really remember the first time I had an avocado. I think it was... I must have been maybe 15 or 16, so that's not even that long ago now. That would have been like 2015. Yeah, no, I was exactly the same. The first time I tried an avocado was when I moved to Switzerland, and I was, what, like, nine at the time. Mm, That's still quite a bit before me, but it's still not even that long ago. If you're worried about reducing your impact, then one thing you can do is buy more seasonal veg. So instead of buying, say, blueberries in the middle of winter, just buy them in summer. And you can also buy frozen fruit. I do this quite a lot because I like to have blueberries on my breakfast. And you can just get these from Aldi from the frozen section. And this really reduces the the carbon footprint because basically they can be made whenever and just frozen and you can eat them. 
I mean, I eat frozen food for years and years. I know it probably they probably suggest otherwise. Yeah, because if you're buying fresh produce which isn't grown in the UK during certain seasons, so for example, obviously Britain produces a lot of their berries, strawberries during the summer, and they're grown locally. During winter, they're essentially being flown over. So as I, as Saskia said, that by purchasing them, you're con- you're contributing to the importation carbon footprint. So if you're like me and you're not ready to go vegan, or perhaps again at this moment in time you don't really want to. There are steps that you can take to still reduce your environmental impact. So WWF in Germany conducted a report that found that if every German citizen were to lower their consumption of meat just enough to meet the country's dietary guidelines, they would be able to save 1.8 million acres of agricultural land. And this is actually very important because I feel like a lot of people have meat maybe for even every single meal. So for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. It's a bit mad because the need to eat meat has been massively exaggerated. And I was even guilty of this myself. When I ate meat, I must have eaten meat twice a day. So like for lunch, I'd have maybe a ham sandwich or a gammon sandwich or something like that. And then for dinner, I'd have maybe chicken pasta or beef stew, just something that my mum had made for dinner that day. And the fact that I felt I needed to eat meat that much is definitely just down to like cultural norms. I don't have the exact statistic to hand, but when we did the Waste podcast, which you can go back and listen to, we did that a few weeks ago, we actually discovered that you only really need to eat meat three or four times a week. So by reducing your meat input to just the country's guidelines, you can actually save not only a lot of animals, but also a lot of agricultural land. Yeah, because I remember in the David Attenborough documentary, he actually said that, of course, it would be great if everyone, you know, all of a sudden went vegan. But the reality is that's not really feasible. But even if people actually ate meat according to the guidelines, so three to four times a week, that would honestly take the pressure off the planet by so, so much. If you do want to give up eating meat, but you're not ready to be a full vegan, I did actually find um, an interesting statistic. And that is if everyone in America was just to remove meat from their diet, there'd be enough extra grain to feed 1.4 billion people, which is almost one in seven people in the world. And when you consider how many people in the world are starving, it's a bit crazy that we actually eat this much meat and that Western countries are so overnourished on meat, dairy and other products. And it's just very unnecessary. Yeah, and just again to reiterate what Saskia said, this is literally if people just cut out meat. So if people continue being veggie and continue having eggs, dairy, you know, what have you, it will still make such a big improvement. So then moving on with this podcast, we thought that it would be very important to also include some information about health and how veganism can benefit or can hinder your health. So I think we'll start with perhaps the negatives first, but also do consider that all of them actually have ways which you can get around the alleged negatives in quotation marks. So first of all, you can have a vitamin B12 deficiency. And this would stem from the fact that your only way of getting these vitamins is through meat and dairy, as they're the only natural sources of the vitamin. So although this does pose a risk to adults, it especially poses a risk to infants. So for example, if the mother is vegan and she's breastfeeding, uh, the child can actually suffer from permanent nerve damage and it can impair the growth of the baby from a very early age. But a very simple way to combat this negative aspect of veganism is by taking vitamin B12 supplements. And I know that a lot of them are also automatically included in, like, again, dairy products, etc. 
you can also find b12 in products that you don't even realize a lot of cereal has b12 and um, it's also in vegan vegan spreads and marmite i personally love marmite so it's very easy for me to eat this and i know some people get a bit funny about taking supplements because they think why should i take supplements when i can get this naturally from my food but i don't think people quite understand how supplements are added to food normally such as when you drink cow's milk when they pasteurize cow's milk they actually add vitamin d to the milk to make it better for you so it doesn't really make a difference which milk you drink as long as the nutrition is there then another negative side effect of being a vegan is the fact that you can develop osteoporosis and what this basically is is when you have low bone density and therefore you're prone to fractures and this stems from um, low vitamin d and calcium and again, those vitamins and components are mostly found in meat and dairy. However, although both vitamin D and calcium can be found in vegan produce, it just means that you need to pay a lot closer attention to what vegan foods you eat to ensure that your calcium intake is of an adequate amount. And usually you can find a lot of vitamin D and calcium in dark leafy veg. And this is very important because especially in children, a lack of vitamin D and calcium can lead to rickets, which permanently deforms your bones. Like any diet, you can lack vitamins if you're not careful. Another one of these is omega-3 and fatty acids. This mostly comes from fish, which obviously vegans don't eat, um, or vegetarians. I mean, some people choose to be pescatarian. Fish oil contains DHA already formed, so the body does not require conversion foods such as flaxseed, walnut and pumpkin seeds. They also contain EPA and DHA but these need to be converted by your body which only makes them 12% efficient. Obviously this means that you just need to eat these foods in higher quantities which is very possible but can be a bit impractical. You can also get plenty of vegan um, omega-3 tablets so if you are someone who doesn't mind taking supplements which I personally don't mind but I know some people prefer to get them naturally then that is a very easy and viable option another problem that you can run into with being vegan and this is actually something i struggled with even when i did eat meat but it just got worse when i cut meat out was low iron and zinc and this is essentially when someone is anemic there are different forms of iron in plants but they are a lot less easily absorbed than when they come from animal produce and what this stems from is the fact that plants contain a lot of fiber which decrease your iron intake from plants. So as a result of this, vegans need to eat a lot more produce which contains iron to ensure they're getting enough nutrients. And for example, some foods which contain zinc and iron are soybeans, blackstrap molasses, lentils, spinach. Also, of course, you can take vitamins and supplements in order to ensure you're getting enough iron and zinc. And this actually links quite well in with energy management, which is once again something that I've experienced. Various people say that they feel a lot more energized when switching to a vegan diet, especially at the start. To ensure that you actually keep on top of your energy levels and don't suffer any fatigue, it just means that you need to pay closer attention to your calories because inevitably as a vegan, unless you're eating a lot of kind of like processed um, meat alternatives or you know just potatoes and french fries you won't be getting the same amount of calories as you would if you were consuming dairy meat and fish so just make sure that you stay on top of your calories and aren't in a calorie deficit when it comes to milk 
There is actually evidence that 75% of the human population are lactose intolerant, and this is very common in Africa, Asia, and South America, but it's less prevalent in North America, Europe, and Australia. So as we have said, milk does contain high amounts of calcium, which is really important because the majority of the population are in a calcium deficit, but you can also find this in many other places. It just so happens that dairy milk is an easy place to find it. Unfortunately, there has been um, evidence to suggest that milk can in increase the risk of respiratory conditions and allergies, and it's been linked to development of arthritis due to joints becoming inflamed. I think one thing that people don't really speak about is the fact that humans aren't actually intended to drink cow's milk because cow's milk is you know made for cows it's made for calves not humans and in the u.s the fda allows 750 million pus cells in each liter of cow milk in europe regulators allow 400 million cells per liter and in australia there's no limits on how many is available so this is quite concerning because as i'm sure you're all aware we are leaving the eu on the 31st of december 2020 and we will be free to then sort of make our own regulations and there is a lot of talk about how we are going to have very similar food regulation standards to America which would obviously be a big increase in the amount of pus cells in milk. Yeah actually I was speaking to one of my friends a few days ago and it's very interesting because he said that he did his year abroad in Germany and he ate a very healthy diet and he said that the food quality in in Germany is so much better that it was a lot easier for him to put on like heavy, healthy, lean muscle. But then as soon as he moved back to the UK and continued eating like the same amount, working out the same amount, he literally lost five kilos in a month just because the food in England is so much less nutritious. It's quite scary hearing that because that's why we're still in the EU and we're still held to EU standards and quite soon we're not going to be held to them standards and like I said there's a lot of rumours that we'll have a trade deal with the US where our food will start to look very similar to theirs. The vegan diet is generally considered to be higher in fibre and lower in cholesterol. Eating meat produced by factory farms can cause chronic diseases such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, strokes and various cancers. Meat eaters also have a 32% higher risk of heart disease than vegetarians, and red meat in particular can lead to bowel cancer. And this is really concerning um, because cancer is the second leading cause of death in the US, and a third of this can be prevented by diet alone. Um, as I said, a lot of these statistics are American because the majority of the research into this is by Americans. When I researched into that, I was quite interested to find that humans aren't actually naturally carnivores. We can eat meat similar to our um, previous ancestors. You know, like the apes and the monkeys, they can eat meat, but they mainly eat a plant-based diet. And over time, we've just consumed more and more meat and we don't actually need to do that. Overall, there's varied evidence about eating meat and there's obviously pros and cons to both diets. But ultimately, if you get the right nutrition, being a vegan can be a very healthy diet and it's also better for the planet. So if you just take on board what we said today about getting the right nutrients and using the right supplements, then please give it a shot and just see what you think. One more thing that isn't necessarily thought about when eating meat is more effects of eating meat on the population. And I think this is actually really relevant at the minute being the pandemic that we're in. It's actually thought that every known epidemic comes from animals. It originates from animals, such as measles that came from cattle, pigs which cause a whooping cough, Ducks caused influenza, chickens caused typhoid fever, and in 1918 the Spanish flu, which is also thought to have come from animals, killed 50 million people worldwide. 
Within our lifetime, we've experienced swine flu, which came from eating pigs, and mad cow's disease, which people also die from eating cows. More recently, and, and as I'm sure you're all aware, the origins of the corona pandemic is seem to come from eating an animal that ate a poisonous bat, and at the minute the death rate is 1.7 million people. So even if you aren't directly concerned for your health and you aren't really worried about eating meat personally, it really is just something to think about and think about the impact it is having on the rest of the world. So actually now that we've touched upon you know, a more global perspective of veganism, I think it's quite important to acknowledge that even in the UK alone, being vegan in a way is a privilege because I think families from lower income brackets in the UK or for example families which are very very big, they can't necessarily afford to buy vegan products in large quantities which will feed their family to a sufficient amount. Also I think with families you know who are struggling financially, switching their children to a vegan diet won't necessarily be a priority you know because it might be quite hard for children because children don't like their fruit and veg anyway <laughs> you know so i think it might not be the biggest priority of families to switch to a vegan diet yeah definitely being a vegan can actually be so much cheaper than eating meat but to become a vegan you have to practice cooking you have to learn new recipes and lots of people who are working class a they don't have the time to create these recipes because they're busy working but also they don't have the money to spend on food that might go wrong so in that sense being a vegan really is a privilege and maybe even being a vegetarian in some ways moving away from the uk so as i'm sure i've mentioned in the past i come from russia and i grew up in moscow and i go back quite frequently and essentially, even though Moscow is a very westernized city, there are still very limited vegan options in terms of meat. Like you have your, you know, almond milk, soy milk, that's all there. But for example, meat alternatives, that is a very big issue. And I know a lot of vegans, they would eat, you know, they would just eat a plant-based diet in terms of they wouldn't seek vegan options to sausages or burgers, but a lot of people do and understandably why, because it is quite nutritious. For example, my family, we do our shopping from a local market because the food is fresher, it's cheaper, and we prefer to support farmers directly from buying their food literally as soon as they deliver it into the city as opposed to supporting a supermarket chain. And literally the only vegan option which is available at the market, if you're lucky, is tofu. And this is because there just isn't a very big demand for vegan options because in my culture eating meat is very engraved into the culture so for example even if you do have vegan options in supermarkets they're just not going to be up to scratch and they're not going to be healthy and because of this as i said there's a lot less money being pumped and invested into the vegan product market with my culture as well as many others eating meat is included in nearly all traditional dishes so for example i know already a lot of people heard about the russian salad traditionally it's made with chicken ham or beef of course it's very easy to exclude meat from that recipe which is something me and my family do but also i know a lot of people can perceive this encouragement as being encouraged to distance from their tradition and culture which can have a few problems so for example in russia and in greece uh, people are orthodox and which means that during the Lent season which is in spring prior to Easter people only consume vegan products they don't consume any sugar no alcohol and essentially fast therefore the social associations with veganism 
are seen as a time of trial and restriction. And again, in Russia, religion is still a very, very prevalent aspect. Moving on around the globe, there is actually a UNESCO representative list of the intangible culture heritage of humanity. And essentially what this does is this aims to preserve certain recipes around the world. So for example, in Japan, it preserves washoku, which does use a lot of fish in its recipe as a type of culture of the, of the country that they don't want to change. Then in Turkey, this applies to the ceremonial keskek, which is made from meat or fish. And it's actually found not only in Turkey, but also in Iranian and Greek cuisine. And the dish is associated with ceremonial and religious occasions. And it's cooked by a group of men and women together in a community. So again, I think trying to encourage veganism in cultures where meat is such a prevalent aspect of, of a ceremony, of a tradition, of a religious holiday, that might be quite hard. And again, for example, in Uzbekistan and surrounding areas, there's a dish called plov, which is actually, I eat love, we eat it very often in my household. And it's also added into that tangible list of cuisines. And I think also you need to consider that aside from it being very traditional and part of someone's culture, also in poorer countries, a lot of the time, a very, very large bulk of food is made to feed an entire community. And of course, they're going to add meat, which probably they grow themselves to make it as nutritious as possible. So I'm not saying that it's bad to encourage people to be vegan, not at all. I think education is very important because people do need to understand the implications of their eating habits. But I also think that there needs to be a balance of understanding of how much people can change their diet based on their beliefs and also based on just what's available to them. Following on from that, one thing that the West really likes to do is to tell other people what they can and can't do. And when it comes to veganism, it's really hypocritical for the Western world to tell less developed countries to stop eating meat, when the reason why we need to stop eating meat, as we've mentioned, is because of the environmental impact, is all due to factory farming that we encourage, that we pay for. In the Western world, we're the ones over-consuming, we're the ones encouraging meat, we're the ones creating these problems. Whereas more developing countries, they do eat locally, they do source their own meat, and a lot of the time they also kill these animals quite ethically. However, it is actually really encouraging to see that some um, more developing countries, or not even developing countries like Greece, do actually have loads of vegan national dishes. Greece has a large orthodox population. Um, I'm actually Greek orthodox, although you wouldn't have all thought it. And when you think of Greek food, you really think of heavy meat dishes, which I also do think of but they also have lots of vegan dishes. And I think this is really encouraging because as we said, us as the Western world, we I know Greece is part of the Western world, we can't tell other people to stop eating meat, but it would be really great if they would stop eating meat on their own accord or perhaps just incorporate less meat and dairy into their diets naturally. So essentially, obviously encouraging people to become vegan through education and campaigning, is one thing but also if you think about it how are we going to achieve this on a bigger scale i think that this is actually quite a sticky but very interesting topic because in order to implement a vegan diet or perhaps to implement less meat consumption in general it would perhaps have to come through the government and government regulations 
But I think if the government starts telling people what they can and cannot eat and in what quality and in what quantities, I think that could potentially lead to you know restrictions of people's freedoms and restrictions of people's freedom of choice. It's very possible that the government could do this more subtly though. So without telling people what they can and cannot eat. Um, I can't really remember recently, but definitely in the 2000s, there was a lot of campaigns to get people fit and to get families fit. And I think they could just do something very much along these lines. And this is definitely just going to get easier anyway, because the amount of vegan and vegetarian products that are available now is so much more than even this time last year. It's actually mental how fastly the vegan market is developing so soon. Um, hopefully very soon, it should be more available to everyone. And of course, some other points that I think we need to think about is, let's say, obviously this is very hypothetical, but if tomorrow everyone was to go vegan, peoples whose livelihood literally depends on being a farmer or operating a slaughterhouse, what would what would they do? And <laughs> who would be responsible for their animals, for everything? It's definitely difficult, but as you said, it, it has it's not going to happen like that people aren't going to go vegan or vegetarian overnight so hopefully this will just slowly phase out but also quite quickly slowly if you know what i mean um but like we said about the fishing we only have till 2050 to recover the oceans and if we don't then by 2050 there's going to be thousands of people if not millions of people without jobs so even if we reduce our intake of fish now and yes some people might lose their jobs now or in five or ten years this will stop the whole industry from dying and potentially thousands if not millions of people losing their long-term income we are well aware that we've given you so much information during this podcast and it will be a lot to digest so we're going to finish here because it would be impossible to fit in everything um we actually conducted a study before we did this podcast and we ask vegans, vegetarians, carnivores and pescatarians whether they will be participating in Veganuary. If you don't know what Veganuary is, it's just the month of January where people don't eat meat and dairy for a month, um, i.e. the name Veganuary. I personally will be partaking in Veganuary as I hope it will kickstart my vegan journey. In the survey, 40% of people said that they were vegan, 30 vegetarian, 27.6% carnivores and 2.5% pescatarian. We then asked, will you be taking part in Veganuary? This figure actually really surprised me because 57.5% of people said they definitely were taking part in Veganuary. Obviously the 40% which are vegans will be always participating in Veganuary, but this means that there's an additional 17.5% who have definitively said yes. And even more encouraging, 20% said that they're unsure but they're definitely thinking about it, which means that only 22.5% of these people said that they were definitely not taking part in Veganuary. I think that response is really encouraging, especially when 27.6% of people who responded were actually carnivores. Those who are not already vegan said that the reason they want to partake in Veganuary is just to see whether they can do it their environmental impact concerns, perhaps learn new cooking skills and recipes, health benefits, a good introduction to veganism or to get back on track and ethical reasons. My only concern with this is that if you're doing Veganuary for a month for environmental reasons, as soon as you go back to eating, whether it's a vegetarian diet, a carnivore diet, pescatarian diet, you're essentially just undoing all the good contributions that you've just done. Well, yeah, exactly. But that that's moves on to the next question, which is we ask people if it's a trend. 
the majority of people who responded um, agreed that it, Veganuary is a trend, but they think it's a very good trend and it was compared to the likes of Stoptober, where in October people don't drink for a month. Obviously this is a bit different because there's not really environmental or ethical reasons as such behind drinking, um, but there really is behind eating meat. But like we said, it's really encouraging that people said they think this might kickstart their veganism and if not, then it might just make them vegetarians or at least pescatarians or just give them food for thought. And then for those people who said that they are not going to partake in Veganuary, one reason was that the person, that the individual came from a farming community and wanted to support local British farmers. For example, also people were scared of getting not enough nutrition. If you don't know how to make adequate vegan food, that is a worry that you can have. Some believed that they could continue reducing their carbon footprints, but in other ways. And some other reasons were that their diet is already close enough to being vegan, so they don't see the need in, I guess, putting an extra strain on themselves to, you know, try and change up their diet. I think the point this person was trying to make was the fact that they don't eat much animal products throughout the year, so for them it wouldn't make sense to just not eat animal products for one month. So as Saskia mentioned, we have piled you with a lot of information throughout this podcast, and this is actually our longest podcast to date. So if you're still here and you're still listening, uh, thank you very much. And we will be skipping next week's episode just because we will be having exams. We will be back on the 19th of January. Until then, if you are really missing us, I will actually be on TikTok documenting my Veganuary journey. And I'll be doing a daily blog of what I've eaten and if I'm struggled or if I haven't struggled. I don't really expect to struggle too much because, as I said, I eat mostly a vegan diet anyway. So my TikTok name is SaskiWild6, but hopefully it will be just SaskiWild. I'm not very good with technology, so I'm just trying to change it. Whatever it ends up being, we will put it in the description of this podcast and on our website as well as our Instagram. We look forward to seeing you towards the end of January or on my TikTok sooner. Thank you so much for listening. 